This podcast is marketing material for a South Africa investment professional only. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Schroeder's Global Investor Podcast for South African investors. My name is Kondi Nkosi, and I'm the Schroeder's South Africa country head. This is part of our monthly series where we engage with Schroeder's investment professionals on various thought leadership pieces. Today, I'm joined by Azad Zangana, who is a senior economist and strategist in the Schroeder's economics team, as well as Alex Tedder, who's the head of our global equities team. Welcome to you both. As per usual, we have around 20 or so minutes to engage uh, with Azad and Alex on, on various topics. Perhaps a good place to start, Azad, is how, in your view, is the global economic recovery coming along? And perhaps you could do this from a global perspective and maybe highlight US, Europe, and some EM markets, perhaps China. Thanks, Condi. So the pace of the recovery uh, and the state of the global economy uh, has really been dependent on which regions uh, have made progress in combating the coronavirus. Um, Naturally, uh, China was the first to report uh, cases of the virus and and come out of lockdown. So we've already seen positive growth uh, return there with the second quarter GDP figures that were published uh, recently. Um, In Europe, where most of the economies have reopened uh, again, we're starting to see positive numbers coming through from the leading indicators, but not yet from the official data. And that's just because the official data lags uh, behind. And then finally, in in the US, it seems that certain um, states have made very good progress. So for example, in the northeast of the country, New York and surrounding states, uh, the number of cases and reported fatalities have come down uh, quite significantly and life has largely returning to normal. But the rest of the country, especially on the West Coast and in the South, um, the number of cases continues uh, to rise there. And so the US looks like it will be a laggard when it comes to uh, the recovery there. So it really does, like I said, depend on how each country is coping. And of course, uh, a big risk that we're going to have to keep an eye on is uh, the risk of a second wave and additional outbreaks um, coming through. Thanks for that, Azad. Uh, I guess you were referencing some of the southern states when you spoke about uh, the issues around infection rates. Um, uh, the impact on the consumer uh, segment in, in, in these economies, particularly the U.S., I mean, the con- consumption still accounts for a significant share of, of GDP. Perhaps you can just give us your thoughts on that. The retail sales spending hasn't actually been that bad. There's been a switch away from your traditional retail stores more towards online spending. Um, but the, the value of retail sales has picked up after a very sharp fall um, initially. So at least the household sector seems reasonably um, comfortable at this point in time. And that's mainly thanks to the government mailing out checks Uh, to support households, um, regardless of whether they've been laid off, furloughed, or or whether they're still working. So it was a large stimulus that came in, and I think that's been um, very supportive for the household sector. Perfect. Thanks for that, Azad. 
Alex, perhaps I can turn over to you now. Um, we, we've seen global equity markets rebound very strongly following, following the events of March, and some particular shares have, have, have grown multiple folds. We're also into, into earnings season, uh, particularly in the U.S. at the moment. Could you maybe give us your thoughts on a, on a few things? So the, the first being, what have been the key takeaways in, in the earnings performance of, of these companies that we've seen thus far relative to expectations? Perhaps you can start there and then I'll come on to the other two points. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you, Condi. Yeah, it's interesting that earnings so far have been quite positive, especially in the United States, relative to expectations. And remember, this quarter was always expected to be a poor quarter in absolute terms, uh, not surprising given the background of COVID and lockdown, etc. But the beat rate is actually quite high so far within the S&P 500. Around 80% of companies have actually beaten expectations, which is, I think, uh, we'd all agree, quite a surprise in this environment. And that's coming from a mix of factors, uh, as Ad mentioned, the consumer holding up quite well. Uh, consumer spending generally has been pretty supportive. Companies have also been pretty proactive with costs, again, especially in the US. Um, and that has led to reasonably good earnings delivery in a tough environment. Thanks for that. Uh, and given these, uh, I guess, the strong share price performance, and where valuations are in general at the moment. Perhaps you can just share with us some of the, the thoughts that you and your team have at the moment. Are you concerned about, about these levels? Yes and no. <laughs> uh, so let me explain. <laughs> uh, relative to bonds, of course, equities are not particularly highly valued. It's all a function of the discount rate, and the discount rate is uh, currently very low. Artificially low, I think we would probably all agree, and I'm happy to elaborate, as I'm sure Azad is. But the fact yes. is that low discount rates mean higher valuations, particularly for companies that have high return on capital and strong compounding effects, which I think is one reason why the technology sector has done as well as it has, is the business models are delivering and the returns in those businesses are spectacular, hence the high valuations. Now, there's no question that relative to history, parts of the market are very highly valued, specifically the technology sector. The key question for that sector is, you know, are things different this time around? Are the business models so entrenched, so embedded, so established with consumers and with corporates now that those valuation levels actually can be sustained? Overall, I'd say equities are certainly not cheap, uh, but there are reasons why they're not cheap. And for now, at least, those equity valuations, we think, are reasonably well supported. Oh, very good. Thanks. Thanks for that, Alex. Mm -hmm. and, and in terms of any specific sectors that are grabbing your attention at the moment, uh, you know, healthcare is one. We've spoken about tech. Are, are there any, any specific sectors that you find quite appealing at the moment? Right. Well, from my standpoint, there are two groups, Condi. There's the kind of beneficiaries, if that's the right word, uh, from COVID. In other words, the companies that have benefited from lockdowns, work at home, stay at home, play at home. 
that group I think we all know about it obviously includes a lot of technology companies. In fact, technology is the overriding theme to come out of this, the technology transformation and the speed at which that, that transformation has been accelerated. So that group, you know, clearly have been beneficiaries. Healthcare also, you know, is, is always on the forefront, particularly given the demographics in the West uh, in terms of aging. Uh, and obviously is even more in the forefront given the imperative to find a vaccine and a cure for COVID. So healthcare, I think, will remain in focus, but we have the backdrop of the U.S. election coming up. And as many listeners will know, the Democrats, Democrats have a very different uh, agenda when it comes to healthcare than does the current Republican administration. But broadly speaking, that first group is kind of COVID, you know, in focus companies that many of which are, are, have been uh, supported and helped by the process of lockdown. That's the first group. But the second group, interestingly, is a group that um, is, has been much less in favor, uh, has actually been out of favor in many cases, but could show a very strong recovery going forward, particularly if there are structural tailwinds. Let me illustrate that. The industrial sector obviously has been very hard hit by lockdown, by COVID, et cetera. And uh, there are concerns around globalization and the process of possible process of deglobalization going forward. But expectations in that sector are now very low. And we expect the recovery in that sector to be a lot more pronounced than is currently built into consensus because there will be a need for more spending on infrastructure, on automation, on reshoring going forward that could drive a powerful upturn in the industrial sector. Perfect. Uh, Azad, perhaps I can, I can turn to you now. Uh, we've seen quite a lot of action from governments, both from a monetary and a fiscal perspective. I think the most recent of which is uh, the EU's announcement of the, I think they call it the EU Fund for New Generations. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I understand it's something in the order of 750 billion euros. Perhaps you can just give us your thoughts on what this means for the region and perhaps additionally for the UK, which I guess one can call an outsider at the moment. Yeah, so this is quite a, a big leap forward for the European Union. Um, uh, you know, in the past, we have had small uh, funds being set up for one reason or another. But this is the first time that we're going to have the European Commission, which is the civil service arm of the European Union. Um, it'll be the first time that they are allowed to borrow uh, money openly from uh, capital markets through the issuance of bonds. And those bonds will be jointly guaranteed by each member state. Now, of course, the, the reason why they're doing it this way, rather than just allowing member states to go off and, and do their own borrowing and investing, is because some countries like Italy, like Greece and Portugal, um, would struggle to open, uh, sorry, would struggle to borrow such amounts through financial markets. And so this idea that um, they'll be getting together, uh, offering 300 and billion, 390 billion euros worth of grants, along with 360 billion euros worth of loan, um, is helpful for those countries that uh, would struggle to raise those finances otherwise. Um, 
in contrast, the UK has um, announced much smaller packages um, so far. So to give you an idea, uh, the EU package uh, that's just been announced is worth about 5.4% uh, of GDP. That's on top of a earlier package uh, that was worth around 3% of GDP. So potentially quite a lot uh, has been announced uh, at the EU level. The UK in total has announced uh, around 3 to 3.5% of GDP uh, in uh, fiscal spending. And a lot of it uh, has been focused on helping sectors uh, bounce back in the near term. Uh, we had a VAT cut for restaurants, cafes, bars, hotels and uh, amusement parks in order to try to uh, encourage greater um, demand from uh, households. Um, but we didn't get a wider cut in value-added tax for the whole economy, which I know will disappoint um, quite a few. It seems to us that the UK government is cautious because they're, they're concerned that we could have a second outbreak later in the year uh, and as a result they're they're keeping some powder dry just in case they need to restart the furlough scheme and provide more support to households um, and especially if unemployment rises sharply thanks thanks azad uh, perhaps i can i can follow that up with with another question that was incidentally asked on uh, the schroders tv uh, session that we had last week um, and that's really around the risks of inflation in the system so we've spoken about the high degrees of of government borrowing that has happened pretty much around the world what what would you say are the the inflation risks in the system at the moment well, right now, the risks are firmly skewed to the downside and, and deflation um, because we are going to see unemployment rates rise um, quite rapidly over the next six months or so. Um, and as a result, that means less income in the real economy circulating amongst households. Now, of course, central banks have pumped a lot of money into the financial system. Governments are also stepping in and trying to offer support uh, where they can. But we don't believe that this is going to be enough to generate uh, substantial inflation, at least not in the next two or uh, three years. There is a risk that if this liquidity or extra cash isn't withdrawn at a later point, then it could generate inflation um, then. But for now, it doesn't seem that uh, there's, there's a great deal of risk of, of inflation. Okay. Uh, as I perhaps one more question for, from you before I turn to Alex, and that's, you know, these conversations around uh, tensions between China and the U.S. And, and Alex also mentioned the uh, U.S. presidential elections happening in November. Perhaps you can just give us some thoughts on, on that, uh, perhaps playing the scenarios of uh, if, uh, if it's a democratic presidency uh, the next term. Yeah, so the the relationship between the U.S. and China has, has been difficult now for a number of years. Um, and, of course, their tensions have been rising uh, with regards to the closure of uh, consulates and embassies in, in various parts of, of both China and 
the U.S. and more recently, the U.S. put out a, a statement condemning uh, the actions of China in the South China Sea, uh, the militarization of of the zone. Um, it's the first time that they've taken a non-neutral stance on, on the issue, so they're clearly looking to escalate um, the situation uh, there to try to put pressure on China to to back off, essentially uh, building its military forces in the region. Um, this goes back to uh, sort of a struggle for dominance um, between China and, and the US. Um, and, and it's clear that with uh, economies struggling, there is a, a tremendous amount of desire in, in the US, I think regardless of who wins the election, that um, China should not be allowed to uh, continue to be um, taking advantage of its large government interference within its companies to give those companies an unfair advantage when it comes to competing with uh, US organizations. Um, this has been going on for, for a number of years. Uh, and as a result, I think even if we do get a, a sharp uh, or a big change in the White House uh, and in uh, Washington, we are quite likely to see a continuation of this trend for some time. It probably won't be as aggressive as the Republicans have been uh, with China, but I don't think we're going to see a, a changing course. Now, the big question for us, I think, is going to be, um, could we see the trade deal that was agreed recently between the US and China fall apart before the election? I, I don't think that's likely. Um, the Chinese who haven't been buying the goods that they promised to buy as part of the trade deal um, still have quite a bit of time to show that they are complying with the terms of the deal uh, because the deadline is not until the middle of next year, well after the presidential uh, election. But after the election, there's a very high chance, in our view, uh, that tensions rise again and we could see tariffs returning uh, and even quotas and blockages of, of trade between these two. Okay. Uh, Alex, but perhaps let me turn to you now. Um, we, we've also seen the discussion around how companies that have strong environmental governance and perhaps, you know, more pertinent of, of late, um, strong social aspects within the context of how they treat their employees, you know, th that's come to the fore. Um, have you, have you, have companies that have strong ESG characteristics been rewarded by the market? Um, and, and is that likely to carry on being the case going going forward? Yeah, it's a great it's a great question, and I'm I'm glad you glad you bring it up because uh, I do think that this is a trend that is ongoing and accelerating, and probably will be one of the defining trends for the next uh, ten years, alongside the technology transformation that we we're all familiar with. And the reasons are simple. I mean, uh, climate change is a fact. Not everyone agrees with that, but as far as we're concerned, climate change is a fact. Uh, social awareness is something that's essential to society as well as to running a successful corporation, one that uh, uh, survives and prospers in the long term. And good governance is all about making sure the rewards of that effort go to shareholders and other stakeholders and not just to senior management or individuals at the top of the firm. So all three factors, E, S, and G, are really essential in our view to running a successful business over time. That's why ESG analysis has been embedded at Schroders for quite some time, in fact, a very long time. 
It's not a buzzword for us. It's something we believe very strongly in. And what's now happening is really just a general awareness that these factors are becoming more and more important. I mean, the environmental aspect, I think we're, we are increasingly familiar with. And the European Green Deal that was announced very recently is a sign of the times. It is a transformational deal that will accelerate the process of transition away from traditional energy sources towards renewable energy. Uh, and, uh, and all the more welcome for it, in our view. That will be a tremendously powerful theme. Social awareness has been rising for some time. I'd say certainly since, for example, the Facebook case a couple of years ago, uh, I think investors are very aware of what social impact actually means. But right down to the small company level, it is essential that sourcing, supply, uh, treatment of employees, treatment of contractors, uh, treatment of third parties generally is high on a company's priority list. And again, that's the awareness of that is growing. And finally, good governance, again, has always been an issue, but is particularly relevant in the day and age where uh, companies can become very big very quickly and need to be properly governed uh, as they do so. So I think we're going to see a lot of this. We're going to be talking a lot about this. Sustainability is, I think, one of the big themes if for the next 10 years and one where actually it pays to invest alongside it. Perfect. Uh, and Alex, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you a question around commodities, especially with what we've seen gold doing uh, of, of late. Um, yeah. what, what are your views on, on, uh, on gold shares going forward? And, and perhaps given that our audience is South African, that is definitely a commodity that is of interest here. Yes. Yes, it's obviously had an extraordinary rally. I'm an equity guy, but uh, I've been saying some, for some time that gold is a good place to be. And uh, on my team, we actually have a slightly different view to, uh, to Azad in the sense that, or, or perhaps a, uh, a slightly different perspective to the one that Azad outlined, which is I agree with Azad that inflation, which is one of the primary reasons for gold prices going up, inflation is not... Uh, an issue right now. In fact, uh, may well surprise on the downside in the coming months. But further out, uh, we on my team see no alternative but for governments to uh, monetize the debt and to create inflationary expectations. And that is why we believe that real assets, particularly gold, but also other commodities, at least those with some kind of supply constraints, will continue to do very well over the, over the medium to long term simply because expectations are changing. The days of free money are almost behind us and investors are start to, starting to recognize that. Thanks for those thoughts, Alex. Perhaps just in, in conclusion, I can, I can ask you both just to summarize for us um, any, or oh, I guess the views going forward um, and particularly if there's any issues that concern you and the teams um, around the various areas that you both look at. Shall we start with uh, yourself, Alex, and then I'll, I'll conclude with Azad. Yes, thanks, Condi. I mean, inevitably for me as an equity investor, it has to be the second wave and the risk of a second wave uh, becoming even more pronounced. It does look as if we're experiencing a second wave now in the US, in Europe and in Asia. If that starts to widen out, broaden out, I think it would be 
very negative for markets for expectations for earnings in the second half, which are already quite elevated, in fact, and certainly for expectations in the first half of next year. And that would, I think, create conditions for a different environment for equities over the next 12 to 18 months. So I think it's something we have to watch very, very closely. Um, but for now, the base case is that it will remain uh, somewhat under control. And actually, the status quo in terms of where to invest will be more or less unchanged. And that is primarily in the growth areas, particularly where there is a structural benefit from uh, what's happened recently. Thanks for that, Alex. Azad, your final thoughts? Thank you, Condi. Yeah, I think it's going to be um, concerns around the second wave. Um, that's going to be the biggest risk for us and for most of our portfolio managers. The severity of the lockdown that we've seen uh, has been tremendous in, in that we've see, we're seeing currently the worst recessions in several hundred years for uh, most countries. And of course, that's with a reasonably quick recovery that we're seeing coming through at the moment in the third quarter. But if we were forced to go into a second round of lockdowns towards the end of the year, then it could be devastating for many uh, companies around the world. Um, and so that that's going to be our, our main focus uh, in the near term. Beyond that, it'll be what does the new world uh, look like? Because we've seen a big leap forward in terms of the way businesses operate. Um, for example, in the UK, the, the proportion of retail sales that has now moved to being online has gone up from being around a quarter to just over a third. It's unlikely to reverse. I think people are going to stick with these habits. So what does that mean for the trends in retail uh, across the world? Um, social distancing is probably going to remain for quite some time as well. And travel habits and, and the, the travel industry, I think, is going to change beyond recognition uh, too. So a lot to think about going forward. Perfect. Thank you very much to the both of you for, for your thoughts uh, and your inputs today. We really appreciate that. And to our listeners, as always, you can find this and other podcasts on the Schroeder South Africa website under the Insights tab. We're looking forward to engaging with uh, more investment professionals for next month's edition of the Global Markets Perspective South Africa. Thank you. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up, and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance and may not be repeated. Schroeder's Investment Management Limited is an authorized financial services provider. FSP number 48998, registration number 01893220, incorporated in England and Wales. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation. Any funds, services or products mentioned might not be appropriate for all listeners. Please speak to a financial advisor if you are unsure as to the suitability of any investment.